Hey there, my name is Dan. My name is Joshua, and, and we, we are, are the, the Unauthorized, Unauthorized Critics, Critics Circle. Circle. Now, Joshua, tell the listener what we do here at the UCC. With pleasure. Here at the UCC, we review theater with the normal bitcheries and qualms. By watching the video recordings from of questionable origins of various productions. Oh boy, welcome back to Gypsy Mania, the unauthorized Critic Circle's first ever event series, talking about what many call the greatest American musical of all time. Well, it's certainly one of the most discussed in America. Um, mm-hmm. Lloyd Webber didn't write it, so I don't know if they discuss it in London. Well, guess what? We're going to find out about that today. Because this episode, we are talking about the London revival of Gypsy in the West End. This is a professionally recorded production. You'll be able to find it on some kind of streaming platform, probably PBS, Broadway HD. You go find it on your own. You walk into that yourself. That's your own decision. No strings attached. Okay, that one was good. So without any further ado, please enjoy our discussion of the West End Revival Chichester Festival production of Gypsy. Hey everyone, welcome to the Unauthorized Critic Circle, episode 7. Yeah? 7? Well, seven. 27. Okay. No, episode, I was going to say episode 7 of the Gypsy Extravaganza Saga. Mm-hmm extravaganza yeah episode seven of eight home stretch yep so everybody we watched imelda in gypsy yeah the pro shot the we watched the west end revival of gypsy directed directed for the stage by jonathan kent and directed for television by lonnie price so you know, we're on the other side of it now. How'd you feel about it? Yeah. My feelings can best be summed up with this lovely example I created. overplaying mm. holy like, overplaying it's not like any of the other performers were exactly understated nope but, but that's um, just 
I don't know, Lots most more. of them got the line right. A couple of them paraphrased. Imelda certainly paraphrased. And then, yeah. Holy overplaying. Yeah, that was the thing with this production. This was a very loud production. Which is funny because the orchestra, just to start off with, the orchestra, Gypsy was orchestrated for 26 people. And I counted mm-hmm. at the end, this pit had... 14 um 26 to 14 Hmm. in an orchestra pit why does this sound familiar that's very small compared first they came for gypsy and i said nothing then they (laughs) jesus christ um um, what's up what's another fun fact about this orchestra Uh, There are no strings. Zero string players. Uh, Not a one. hmm. Not a single violin. So things like All I Need Is The Girl. um, Yeah, that sounds really great here. Uh, There there were moments that were rather noticeable. You know, you don't have to be an, an... an orchestra aficionado to be able to notice that there's just something missing here. You couldn't manage one violin. Like, 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 was that a deliberate choice? Look, it started off at the Chichester, Chichester, uh, Chichester? Chichester. Huh? Chichester. Chichester. It started off at the Chichester Festival. And that is a very small theater and they don't really have room for a lot of people in the pit. Why you don't have a single violin, that I don't understand. You can't get one, just so some what, of those like, moments are Like, aren't... what could it possibly be chalked up to? I don't know. Maybe they have house musicians at Chichester that they always use, and those people aren't strings. Yeah, but if you have a theater festival and you you do musicals, you probably would not abstain from having strings, right? One would think, but who knows? Hmm. Who knows? So what did you think? You've told me a lot about this production. You've told me, sort of, I went into this knowing that... I went into this knowing more about a production of Gypsy than I think most of these productions, and of knowing more negative than anything. You mentioned that there were no strings. You mentioned that Imelda was not a beloved rose in America. You mentioned a, a few other things, a little, tiny little nitpicks, but aren't really necessary to go into. But, but we will go into them by the end of the episode. That's for sure. I, 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 <laughs> I feel like I don't even need to hold you to that. I, that's something I just trust you to come about with. And fundamentally, what I think this comes down to, I know it's early, and to see, and it's not the kind of statement I like to make because it feels too grand and overarching in general of a statement. We never but, do that here, ever. Uh, oh, oh, definitely, definitely. Neither of us. <laughs> Neither of us I ever. Just, <laughs> I don't think London understands Gypsy. I think what's fundamentally at its base, wrong with this production is that the West End revival of Gypsy tries to paint Rose as the antagonist. 
And Rose is not a protagonist. Rose is not a good character. Rose is not a pleasant character. Rose is not someone that the audience has to like or love. But... Rose is an anti-hero. Yeah, 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 that's a, I, I, maybe closer to anti-hero. I don't know if it's full-on anti-hero, because even with an anti-hero, even if you don't agree with their morals, you still want them to prosper in the end. I think, ultimately, with Rose, you recognize that you you want her to snap out of her delusion, you want her to, like, come to her senses, but you don't necessarily, like, want her to achieve the end goal that she has in mind, per se, you know? But here, specifically... You don't want them to become stars, you don't want them to be successful... That's the end goal. You, it it's not, but not you know not the way that Rose tries to achieve it. Not you know you don't want her kids to be a part of the showbiz if they don't want to be. Rose wants them to be stars despite their interest. Louise, for the most part, really doesn't care to be in showbiz for for any of it. So you're not there going, oh, I really hope she makes Louise a star. You know, at a point you go. When will she come back to reality? Where? When will she touch the ground again? Where? When will she, you know, recognize that her daughter standing there right in front of her wanting to be seen, wanting to be noticed? What I think this production does wrong is that it tries to turn the audience against her. It's like you're outright against her the entire time. You're still supposed to feel sympathetic for her. You're sympathetic because she's so caught up in this delusion of the dream that she's harming the people around her and you want her to stop harming them for her own sake. You want you want her to rejoin with reality. And here she's just utterly antagonistic. She's outwardly angry and harmful and just like a despicable person to everybody unremittently with full consciousness of what she's doing i don't think this production was trying to paint her as the villain i think this production is trying to view gypsy as a greek tragedy and rose has a tragic flaw unfortunately for them gypsy is not a greek tragedy mm. in any way that was actually a quote I saw in a review. I actually saw a review of this production. Oh, you have the moment of... Calling Gypsy... Yeah. Ignorances with Imelda in Rose's turn, which is... We'll get to my thoughts of her Rose's turn later. Uh -huh. They're trying to paint it as a Greek tragedy. The issue is, it's just not dynamic. Rose is an insanely dynamic person. You might not like her, but there's a million different things any Rose has to do. There's a million different shades. There's a million different ways that she goes about getting her goals, achieving her wants. And Imelda approaches everything exactly the same way. What way is that? Oh, Imelda just screams until people submit. Hmm. And... It's boring. That is the worst thing I can say about Imelda and Gypsy, but she's boring. For everything she's doing, you know exactly how she's going to react to everything, so who really cares? The mm -hmm. biggest problem I have with Imelda 
is that there is no reason for anybody in the audience to come back for Act 2. How's that? She's laid everything on the line. She's played her entire playbook by the end of Everything's Coming Up Roses. You can tell Mm -hmm. that... My thesis for Imelda, really, is that Rose is mentally ill. I don't know what mental illness she has, but she seriously has mental illness. And that is very much on display with Everything's Coming Up Roses. The issue is, if she's mentally ill, and we've seen her be so openly mentally ill, there's no reason for anyone to stick around. The entirety of Act 2 becomes a question of, why haven't people left her? With as physically abusive, and I do think she gets borderline physically abusive with Louise during Everything's Coming Up Roses, for her to be that distasteful, for her to be that unlikable, for her to be that mean, for her to scream that much, the question is not how do they get through life, how do her goals constantly change? The question is not anything about Rose changing. The question is, how did Louise not run into her room while she was asleep and cut off her head? Yeah. Um, I get what you mean. And I don't think you totally meant to phrase it in a way of like, you know, this character is mentally ill and therefore we can feel like no sympathy for them or anything like that. But I get what you mean in in terms of... Oh, no, no, like, no. I don't mean that is... we can't be sympathetic toward the mentally ill. What I mean is that we have seen the depth of her mental illness. So rather than change, we are just going to go over those same depths in Act 2. And we are going to cover ground that has already been exposed to us. Okay, okay. I get what you mean better. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to say that mentally ill people are not sympathetic. That is not at all what I meant. Uh, It's... She has problems. This Rose has problems. And so then, during Act 2, the question is nothing about the show. The question is, why isn't she getting help, and why are all these people around her? There is no reason for Louise to stay. There is no reason for Herbie to stay. And honestly, I don't think this Rose likes Herbie. Yep. We'll get to that later. I I don't think she likes Herbie at all. And I have things to say about Herbie, too. And I also have things to say about Louise. And I also have things to say about the strippers. And I have things to say about, like, everything here. Because seriously, I don't know that there's a single performance here that really makes sense. Like, like really nuts to bolts makes sense. It comes back to the director for me. It all, yeah, everything. It's, it's... Not everything, it's that, this but is at a, the end of the day, a director should have known better. This is a director who understands Gypsy the exact same way that the 1962 movie understood Gypsy. It's, it means it, that he it, doesn't, yeah. Yeah, yeah. One of the impressions I got from the very beginning was that this was going to be a very line-by-line interpretation of Gypsy. And when I say that, I mean it as... Every single moment in the show is construed as what makes the most sense for this line to be said right now, regardless of character through lines, regardless of what has happened previously to this character, regardless of the context of the scene around them at times. Just how would this line be best displayed? How would this line be best recited? You know, you see that in something like Mr. Grant Singer's office, where 
whenever Rose Which I think is that's talking. that's indicative of my problem with Imelda. After you've seen her go that ballistic, where does she have room to grow? There is no room to grow. She's put everything on the line. Right, yeah. And it's like it's like you look at you you look at that scene and you go if I were reading that line individually, sure, and I didn't know like where its place was in the show or what the context was of the scene or what happened before or after it, I would go, sure, that would be the most dynamic, interesting way to read that line. That would be a really good way to show off, I don't know, your performance range and to show off the hostility within this character, sure. In the context of the scene, it makes no sense. In the context of her emotional journey, it makes no sense. In the context of where Rose is meant to be at this moment as a character, it makes no sense. Mm -hmm. She's defensive, and she is an adamant supporter of the fact that her act is good, especially at this point. But she is, she's not out for blood with this. Are you sure? She's not meant to be. I mean, she gets physically abusive. Flat out. She actually, she, like, like, and that's something I want to come around to as well. It's, like, purposefully clear from the very beginning that Imelda's Rose, maybe if not a hatred, at least an extreme disdain for Louise's existence. I don't think it's um, a disdain for Louise's existence. I think she doesn't like anybody. You can, it, it just feels like a specific targeted... Like, you, you see how she is with Louise in the beginning. Most Roses are very passionate about their Junes, and then they'll either try to fake something for their Louise and come up short, or they'll fake something and come off phony. That's, like, a standard way to do it. This She, she has her back to Louise when she talks to her. She straight up barely wants to give her the time of day. It's, an, it, it's, it's less of a, I like your sister more. It's more of an, I hate you as a kid, and I don't care about your existence. And throughout the show, not even just to Louise, but especially to Louise, this Rose is verbally and physically abusive. She is constantly verbally abusive. Rather than, you know, making slide remarks, you know, under her breath or trying to do those little jabs, she is outright demonizing her to her face. And she is, yeah, physically abusive, especially in the dressing room uh, of... Even before oh, that, even before that, but I think the best move here is again to go in show order. Sure. Do you agree? Yeah, I do. Because I... <sighs> so let's start with the overture. Um, not the full overture. Yeah. Um, was that, was that the show or was that this recording? You couldn't have gotten an extra two minutes, but I think it's the show because uh, you think we have so much in common. It's a phenomenon in that overture, and that's all string. That wasn't yeah, in there. The 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 small world that, section was cut. that was cut, and that's all string. So I think some of it might have been BBC just having a certain amount of time that they had to get through the show, and I think some of that was we don't have strings. And you know, let's cut all the string parts. There's another moment later in the show, another piece of music that was altogether cut that was probably because of strings and ended up having an intense narrative shift in the story. Mm -hmm. I think you know what I'm talking about? Yep. 
We'll get to it. Yeah, we'll get, talk about that later. So, the first sign that something is wrong here. Uncle Jocko walks out. Scottish. I don't care that he's Scottish. That is fine. He's holding oh, okay. a hat, and the hat has a wig on the ends uh-huh. of the hat. And he's just putting the hat on, taking the hat off, putting the hat on, taking the hat off. Why? Or it's not even a dress rehearsal, it's just an audition. Why does he have the hat in his hand, and why does he need to then put the hat on for certain lines and take it off? It's just sloppy. Mm-hmm. From the very beginning, the very first person talking, you see a sloppy decision. It makes no sense. You agree with me? Yeah. It's it's staging for staging's sake. Uh-huh. Which is, which is fundamentally the problem with this thing. It's that you put in a lot of things there for the sake of having things there and, oh, this would be interesting to have on stage. This is an interesting way to read a line regardless of whether or not it makes sense. But it's just like, it doesn't make sense. Why would you put on the hat for certain? And if you're trying to say your Uncle Jocko to the kids, you need to have the hat when you walk on the stage. And you need to have it on and it needs to stay on. Just, I'm carrying it around and I only put it on. What kind of fucking person lives like that in real life? Anyway, moving on, I need to give this production credit where credit is due. I need to point out when something is good. This is probably the most attractive Chowsy we've seen. You think so? Yes. Looked a bit old. Well, she's on Chowsy the Third by the end of the show. I don't know if you've noticed that. True, I suppose. She mentions Chowsy the Third. It's not necessarily that... <laughs> If Chowsy was old, it was still a pretty old dog. And I'm not one for pets, but I found this Chowsy very attractive. I'm trying here, okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I'll let you have that. I'll let you have that. (laughs) And then, I have to say, this was my third time watching Imelda in Gypsy. Uh I have tried so hard. I watched it when it aired on TV. On December 26th, I believe that's Boxing Day for the Brits. It's a huge TV day. It aired the day after Christmas. Happy Christmas, everybody. Here's Imelda to steal your Christmas presents from you. Jesus Christ. (laughs) So, I have to say, the first time I watched it, I could not have been more impressed up to some people. Really? Could not have been more impressed with her all the way through some people. And then things started going awry. Um, well, tell me about that. What, 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 what do you remember feeling in that moment? Well, she was incredibly driven and she sang better than I was expecting for some people. And she mm-hmm. was... Yeah, she's very, very nice voice. She was outright hostile with Louise, which I was not expecting. So I thought, okay, we're going to get a lot of different shades. We're going to get a lot of different colors. This is going to be an unexpected rose. And the issue with the performance is you know exactly what to expect because she's playing the same note the entire two and a half hours. Hmm. The third time watching her through... She really couldn't have been worse, and there were some moments that played better because I knew what to expect, but from the very first scene 
when they're doing Let Me Entertain You and she's up on the stage and Louise is behind, she's kicking her foot into the ground and she's already borderline physically abusive with Louise. She can't do it because Uncle Jocko's on stage, but you know this is a Rose that is outright beating the kid when they get off stage. Phew. And if that's the first scene, you know? Yeah, then you, you wonder what where the hell we're going to go from here. But do you agree with me? She beats this kid. Wouldn't be surprised. There's no way. She, just... she outright beats this kid. We just don't see that. That's not part of the show. We, but we, we in the reality we see of that she's this Rose, a verbally and physically abusive mother. She beats this kid mercilessly. The next thing I noticed, because it is a British gypsy, when Rose said about the they need some boys for the act, the experience will be their pay. I realized that this gypsy. In the realm of this gypsy, the Cameron Mackintosh revival of Oliver has already happened, and she's learned from Cameron Mackintosh that you don't have to pay child performers because the experience will be their pay. <laughs> Actually, not a bad theory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. And then uh, the next thing I noticed is that even at some people... Which I initially was so impressed with how she sang, watching it the third time around. That voice is on the edge of breaking any second. And I don't mean breaking as in, oh! I mean breaking as in shattering. She is on the absolute limits of what she can possibly vocally produce for the entire show. And it's a shame that she doesn't sound better because... I'll be honest, my go-to recording of Into the Woods is the original London cast. She does some genuinely gorgeous singing on that cast recording. Beautiful singing, gorgeous tone, such sense of legato. She sounds immaculate on the Into the Woods London cast recording. So I actually didn't know that she was in that cast. She was the baker's wife. Wow. In the original London Into the Woods. What happened between then and now, I don't know, but... Well, here's the thing. Even besides Into the Woods, Imelda's won an Olivier for playing Mrs. Lovett. Yes, yes. She won an Olivier for playing Mrs. Lovett, and you can hear her actually cracking on the cast recording. Oi. But I don't care as much with Mrs. Lovett because that you can create that to be the character, and I can buy that. Rose, again, we've talked about you're either born with a Rose voice or you make do. Rose, the sound of the trumpets at the beginning of the overture, that is her inner call and that is her vocalism. And if you don't have that, you got a hard proposition. And she has a very hard proposition, and vocally she is always on the very edge of what she can do. So, do you have any notes so far? Around some people was when I first realized that this was going to be a line-by-line performance and tried to settle in for that. The house set. Look, you mentioned that Chichester is a small theater, right? Mm -hmm. But 
the Savoy Theater on the West End must be an even smaller theater because Jesus Christ, it's, not. it's maybe the most cramped set I've ever seen in my life. It's not, like, but it is a very cramped set. Like, no shit that she wanted to get out. She could barely, she barely had room to lie down. She was the old woman who lived in her shoe. <laughs> yeah. And another thing that just felt fundamentally incorrect and was the first big warning sign of they do not understand any of the american notions here at all it's not it's not a big thing but rose's father starts screaming at rose while june is in the room and that just feels awful that makes the father out to be so much more monstrous and so much (laughs) but it fits with the fact that this rose is beating her kids to a pulp it yeah it does which it feels like this production understands as, well, that's America. You know, like it feels like they're putting these, I'm not even American and I'm defending you guys. I, it, like, it feels like, it feels like they're, they have this vision of what American life is like and what the American personality is and how Americans sort of carry themselves and what their interpersonal dynamics are because there's that cultural divide. I'm sure I've talked about it on the podcast before, but there is such a significant cultural divide between Britain's interpretation of Americans and of American life. And it's really clear here that there's just a blatant, outright misunderstanding of so many of the dynamics of these characters. And the fact that... And it's a choice, too, because June has a staged reaction to it. Mm -hmm. To make the choice to have this happen in front of the kids feels like an outright under- misunderstanding of what Gypsy's meant to be about. Yeah, and the father usually is some kind of foil for Rose, but he kind of yeah. seems to be out of the same playbook here. We have my... the one moment in some people where I usually derive everything I need to know for a Rose. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's completely invalidated by the line-by-line theory. Mm-hmm. With that in my mind, it's like there's no point to even try to look for a through line here. I don't think that there's going to be one. Mm-hmm. I was holding out to many of the major stops to prove me wrong. Those major stops usually end up being the Chinese restaurant, uh, Everything's Coming Up Roses, the dressing room in the burlesque house, and then the last 10 minutes of the show. Those are all the major. It's like if I like nope. this is where I'll learn nope. a fundamental fact about my rose. What you see is what you get from the very first line. That's for sure. And now, this is going to sound mean. I don't mean it to be mean. I mean it to say, what were you thinking? After some people, we have the some people reprise. And that's where the the projections come in? Yeah, I don't mind the projections. Mm -hmm. The points I'm going to make here. First, the tapping kid isn't wearing tap shoes so he's making no sounds so why would rose notice him and try to steal him and then the second kid hail the kid singing hail isn't hitting a clear tone and every step he makes the tone's going hail so why would she look at this kid, why would she try and steal this kid? She's not even caring that these boys are 
talented. And I'm not saying that the child performers are untalented. I'm just saying of the kid actors that are on stage, maybe they weren't the people to do that. Or at least, I don't know, put fucking tap shoes on when you're supposed to be having a tap break. Like, that is the fundamental level of (laughs) misunderstanding here. There is not really a single decision that you can't pick apart and say this is wrong. Uh-huh. It's, that's just a funny little transition thing. It's not supposed to mean anything. And yet here, they get it wrong and they make you question so much. And then this scene ends with Rose kidnapping this final kid who's been in there from the beginning in the car and you see the driver of the car with a panicked face reaching out for presumably his kid and the kid reaching back this is supposed to be a light transition the audience is not meant to believe that rose is literally kidnapping children and ripping them from their families we see Rose Hovick rip a kid from his family. What the fuck? Like, are you kidding me? Like, seriously? Yeah. Yeah. That it, was, it's not cute. It's that not funny. Dr- my jaw dropped seeing that. Uh-huh. I paused the thing and I went, did that actually just fucking happen? Mm-hmm. It's, it, 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 it's downright disgusting. Like, Jesus Christ. Yes. How are you supposed to have... <sighs> Any interest in rooting for this character's cause after this? You can't. You can't. Yeah, you can not. Holy shit. So then it just makes the rest of the show boring. Because yes. who are you supposed to root for here? There's not... If we're rooting for Louise with this Rose, we are not rooting for Louise to become famous and get out. We are rooting for this Louise to kill Rose. Because that is the only way she will be stopped. And that is not the show. The show isn't Electra. The show is Gypsy. And I don't mean I'm electrifying and I'm not even trying. I mean Electra like the Strauss opera. Yeah. Um, and then we have the small world scene. I have to ask a question, an overarching question right now. Did you ever laugh at Imelda? Ever. I don't know if it I don't know if it was a me thing or not. I I didn't outright laugh, but I was able to tell that like she was generally humorous. Like she didn't seem like inept at comedy or anything. I I didn't get a laugh out of me though. I did not crack a single smile. I'm one that is apt to just laugh at a lot of things even if they're not funny because I like laughing. Genuinely did not crack a single smile any of the three times I've watched her. It's not just killing the comedy. It's not knowing where the comedy is. And I took a note in this scene. And the note was, Imelda is trying to land jokes like she is Julie Walters in Mamma Mia. And even Julie Walters wouldn't have tried to land humor like that in the middle of Gypsy. And the whole Hmm. Julie Walters thing in Mamma Mia is that it's Mamma Mia. I'm drunk. Let's have fun. 
when you're doing Gypsy, and it's one of the best written musicals ever, you're kind of, I don't know, I'll just <laughs> do something on top of this and make my own joke because this isn't doing anything for me. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. That's not funny. You know what we I mean? We have that, uh... Yeah, we have that thing with, uh... We, you remember the dispute that we had between Arthur Lawrence and Sam Mendes? Where, he, where Arthur Lawrence basically says, yeah, the script is perfect. It gets laughs. Because mm. that's the show. The show is good. Stick to the show. Yep. That, you know. And, I mean, you're saying she's humorous. She might be. She's clearly unable to use any of the script here to find a laugh. Any of the laughs that she got, I think, were more laughs in reaction to the actual line than anything she did. Because you do hear the audience laughing in the background. I'm a little baffled by why they're laughing, because it's nothing that has anything to do with the performance. But if you've never heard the script before, the script is funny. The script will get laughs. Anytime she goes to get a laugh, it's something that she is doing on top of the script rather than interpreting a line and actually understanding why it's funny. Mm-hmm. We're we're on Small World. Uh-huh. Now feels like the time to talk about the introduction to our Herbie. Mm-hmm. Played by sincerely beloved British entertainment icon, Peter Davison. I don't know him. Um, Where would I know him from? Uh, well, I, his biggest credit to date is that he was the fifth Doctor in Doctor Who. Um, that's how I knew him. That's how I came to knew him. Uh... He's just one of these British icons. Anyone who really ends up playing the Doctor just becomes an actor that you trust, an actor that you become close with, an actor that you just know will crank out a good performance, someone that you trust as, you know, they've had their hands on this British icon. I I will follow their career with aplomb. And then we meet his Herbie. Um... And something in my head just screams pedophile. Really? I can't really put my finger on down onto it. But he's just terrifying in those first like 90 seconds. Like absolutely terrifying. He looks like someone who would sniff Rose's hair when she wasn't looking. Well, and That was the immediate impression I get from this Herbie. You know, this Rose responds to his I like kids like he is a pedophile. And he kind of says it like he, like I was I that line had never stood out to me like that before, and literally it was like two minutes into his him appearing that he said I like kids and I'm like oh, I know. Did did you have to show the kids a paper before you approach them in the alley? You know. What were you doing looking for kids in an alley anyway, Herbie? I have to correct you. Okay, we are talking about a British production of Gypsy. Don't you always? Uh, it is pedophile. Pedophile, sorry. Pedophile. Um, no, but did you not get the impression that this was a ridiculously creepy Herbie I, from the first thing? No, I didn't. I didn't. I got that Amelda thought he was immediately a child molester and then was like, okay, I'll just carry you along anyway. You, you, you don't think that was justified? You don't, you don't think he gave any of that at all? No, he just seemed like kind of a schlub. Hmm. At all? I mean, maybe a little bit, but that wasn't what I was noticing that wasn't the leading energy i was noticing i don't know i got a i was really uncomfortable with sounds like this it. yeah with this herbie 
Mm. Throughout? Or just that first scene? That first scene was very formative to me. You know, it, it, it always lays the framework for how I'm going to go about interpreting this Herbie. And so to have that be the very first impression, it becomes hard to shake. Mm. Maybe I was tainted by that. Maybe I wasn't. I honestly can't tell you. I didn't get that impression, really. Because, like, as soon like as soon as his first lines, he is staring bullets into into Rose with the greatest smile on his face. Just like he's he's staring at Rose but... like this is the woman that he's been waiting to see from beyond her window for years. Let me... I didn't want to do this this early. Mm. I feel bad for this Herbie. I don't think he's very good, but I also don't think he was given anything to work with. Probably. He was not given anything to work with. She's clearly not that interested in him. There's a lot of jokes that have to happen, a lot of flirting that has to happen in that first scene. Imelda does none of that. Like, none of that. He just... I think he was overcompensating for what he was not being given. Again, Peter Davison is great. He's such a splendid, swell actor. And I love his acting. I love him as a performer. When you put him in a production like that, you know, you put Bernadette Peters in Sam Mendes' Gypsy, you get that. You put uh, Peter Davison in Jonathan Kent's Gypsy, you get this. I don't think he was very good, but I don't see how he could have been good. Yeah. With the other people on stage. Uh, I think I think I, I think he he just... could have been good with a better director, that's how. He could have been good with a better director. He could have been good with a rose that I don't know, read the script and decided she was going to play the script. Mm-hmm. Which is really harsh, but honestly, I don't think she read the script. She might have looked at it and no matter what you say, children will listen. It's the difference between hearing and listening. I think she heard the script. I don't think she listened. Yeah. Is there anyone here who you really think did? I don't think the Louise is that wrong. I think, again, she doesn't have much to work with, but I think she's decent. So, moving on, we get to the kids' act. And the boys are very British, which... Fine, I didn't care. That I didn't care about. They were talented. Okay, some seven-year-old British kids can't really do an American accent. Who cares? And then baby June is out there taking her bows and Imelda comes on stage to rally the audience to give baby June more bows. And again, this is a moment of what reality are we living in? Because if you are doing that and no one knows who Madam Rose is in the audience and some random woman walks on stage to get more applause to the kids, how are you fucking getting booked? In any vaudeville house. That is amateur beyond all belief. There is no way they would have ever gotten a booking after they pulled that shit. 
That, yeah, and that's during, like, a real performance, too, That's isn't during it? an actual performance in front of an audience, and she's out there giving the audience, hyping, being a hype man for Baby June. Sorry, that's amateur. They wouldn't get booked. It's a busy bit of staging that makes sense for the rose that Imelda is giving, but the rose that Imelda is giving has nothing to fucking do with the show Gypsy. Hi. I will also say... You know, as someone who listens to rock music at full volume in earbuds for hours at a time, I have a very decent threshold to, like, volume in music. Playing this off my laptop speakers, I just got, like, the most significant headache during this first performance. Really? Yeah, like, really. Why? You know, I think it probably has to come down to how many times June did that squeak thing. Mm. It probably will come down to that, mm. but it's just—it's like she's sh- she's trying to shatter glasses. It it, it was like it, it was like an ice pick to my brain every single time. You want to move on, please. Next, we have the adult actors come on stage, and it is immediately apparent that the design choice they went with for the adult June is somehow making her look older than she actually is. It has to do with the costume design and the wig design, but it's almost like you're able to remove that costume, remove that wig. She looks a lot younger in real life than the design is making her look. It's a baffling design choice because later on in the next scene, you're going to have Rose tell Louise, well, you'd look old in a dress. Look at how you just dressed up Dainty June. You're making Dainty June look older than it is, and I think it's really unfortunate for the actress, who I think is actually one of the highlights of this production. And the next note I have is for Have an Egg Roll, Mr. Goldstone. Do you have anything in between? Uh, a stuffed lamb? Yes, it is a stuffed lamb. There is no actual lamb. It is a stuffed lamb. Not even a lamb puppet. Just a stuffed, a stuffed animal lamb. And why it took so much longer to get the stuffed lamb when the stuffed cat was already there, I don't know. And why this stuffed lamb cost Herbie's entire month's wages, that is now another line in the script that doesn't make sense because you didn't pay attention. Yeah. Um, We also lose Kringleine. We lose Kringleine. We lost him in the Patty revival. I didn't mind him being gone here, especially because it's a bunch of comedy, and this Rose is not comedic. Might might have actually might have actually like you know snapped his neck while they were in the other room. M- might have snapped his neck. Yes, most likely. Um, and one more thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we meet the boys here. I know that it's easy to go with the attribute, especially when looking at the boys in Gypsy, to go with the attribute of uh newsies rejects but like come on with me this group felt like the most i'm walking here kind of new york kind of like american portrayals i've ever seen in my life Uh uh-huh yeah yikes (laughs) the accent work across the board um I mean, they all pick a specific place in America. Uh, All of the boys seem to be New York, even though they're all named after the city they're from, so I don't know why Tex has a New York accent. 
But yeah. Yes. They're southern when they get into the house of burlesque, and so I don't know. Apparently, Brits think all southerners are just low-class hicks who strip. Yeah, that's Wichita. Yeah. You're in Wichita. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So, Goldstone. Is it just me, or could this not have been more bizarre? It was, it was slow. You have a rose who is not humorous. You have a rose who, in this scene, specifically this song, seems completely charisma-free. And I've seen Imelda Staunton in other performances where I liked her. I, to be completely honest, I thought she was good in Follies. I don't think she could sing Follies, but I thought overall she was pretty damn good in Follies. Um, she is completely charisma-free in Have an Egg Roll, Mr. Goldstone. And again, the only question I was left with is why is Goldstone not running out of that room screaming? Because that <laughs> is horror. You're you're still trying to get him to like you, right? Like, you still... Right. You still want him to end up taking you to that theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So then, my next question, and something I haven't really thought about, and it's an overall question for the show. How old do we think Louise is for Little Lamb? What's your answer? I honestly don't know. This Louise seemed very young for Little Lamb, which I didn't mind, but it was just an overall question. How old do we think she actually is? I always kind of got maybe 14. But this was like a nine-year-old girl, I thought. Which I didn't mind. I thought it worked. I thought it worked. I thought it was a nice little lamb. I mean, there was no lamb on stage, and there wasn't even a lamb puppet. It was just a little stuffed little lamb. But I thought the performance of little lamb worked. It was just a young little lamb. She was like playing with stuffies and all that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I guess that gives it a way more youthful impression. And... Not just playing with them, not just a random, oh, I pick it up, but, like, talking to them. Like, they can actually hear her. Yeah. Which makes it seem very youthful. So then, moving on. We're so positive here. Moving on to the audition sequence. You know what I'm about to say? No. Poor Mrs. Cratchit has to stand on stage for the whole audition? Why? (laughs) Why? She couldn't even walk backstage in the first couple of bars? I mean, I think I see why, because there was a drop that came down, and the drop really didn't leave any room for her to walk off stage. But once that drop was lifted and the audition started, she couldn't go walk off for two seconds. The poor people in House Right, the poor people sitting House Right, Extreme House Right, all they are going to see is Mrs. Cratchit standing on stage. And you know what? Oh my god, I didn't even notice that. You know what? This is not the only time that Jonathan Kent has fucked over people sitting in House Right. Because his production of Long Day's Journey into Night that played at the Roundabout, and I don't know, he apparently has a thing for forced perspective. All these sets are forced perspective. His big, yeah, I didn't like his that. His big directorial touch on Long Day's Journey into Night 
night is that like act two or act three, the entire house rotated like 30 degrees and half of the stage was sitting out into the audience, not half the stage, but the lip of the stage was over in the audience, but just like a sharp corner. And everybody that sat house right had a serious hard time seeing anything on stage because of the angle. So this is the second time he has fucked over people sitting house right. Never sit house right if you see that Jonathan Kent is directing. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about here with the forced perspective stuff, and it always leads to a detriment. Anytime there are wings on stage, like it's trying to show you the wings of a theater, they're always like staggered in this way every single time, and it gets old quick. It gets old, and whose perspective? is forced who's who are we supposed to be seeing this through why the forced perspective it just it's another decision that makes you go why did we land on this what was the thinking behind this and 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 we'll get to it later but there's that forced perspective with the rose sign well that just failed for me yeah we'll get to that um i know i know and then the other note i have for the audition sequence what the fuck is up with these chorus boys and these extreme rouge circles on their cheeks? Like, it's not even a full circle. It's like they took a one stick of rouge and just went boom, boom across their cheeks. And it's harsh lines and it doesn't look blended in at all. And I have no idea why they're there. And it looks really bad. Oh, well, can you blame them? They just got back from their callbacks at the Kit Kat Club. <laughs> But even the MC blends the, that rouge in better than these kids. <laughs> I, you know, you're doing something when the MC is objectively more professional than your thing. Like, why did these kids have those rouge cheeks? What was the thinking there? What was the reason? Hmm. Just looked ugly. There are a lot of decisions here that objectively the point is I don't know, just look ugly. Again, they make June look older than she needs to look. Make her look older than the actual actress herself looks out of costume. Here, the rouge cheeks are just an ugly choice. Later on, we will get to act two and some of the design choices they make there. Uh Uh-huh. Why? So then we go to the Grant Singer office scene. I thought this was a good Mrs. Cratchit. She actually. Yeah, she she seemed she got her comedy pretty good. She was about the only person that got a laugh out of me, and then Imelda l- almost has a full on seizure during the scene, mm. and this is. I remember sitting there the first time I watched it, thinking this is impressive and this is very wrong, and that is the through line we're going to have for the rest of the show. What Imelda is doing is That's... impressive, and it is also extremely wrong. And that's why Imelda's Rose got such incredible uh, reviews and was so beloved by people. Because it was impressive. It is impressive. I don't like her in this role at all. Does not take away... It's an impressive achievement. I just think the achievement has nothing to do with the show she's in. Yeah. And she's having a seizure. She's screaming. There's no way, you know in your head, there's no way she can scream louder. So where is there to go? She screams loud, and then in the next scene, we see that she is quite obviously mentally ill. 
Well, then, where are we going to go for Act 2? We're just going to see shades of the same thing over and over. Because she's played everything she can possibly play. Uh, do you have any other notes there? This, if Baba were married? No. I know. How I know. I many times? Every I literally, episode! You, it, it... At this point, I actually pause to wait to get your reaction first before going on. Look, I'm grammatically correct. The reality of the characters is that none of them are grammatically correct. And you know this to be a fact. Every single one of them makes deliberate grammatical errors that are consistent throughout the entire show. Why are you not able to see their reality? You are Jonathan Kent. When you say if Mama were oh, ow, married, ow. you are Jonathan Kent. <laughs> he hung up. He hung up on the call. <laughs> I'll be awaiting your apology. I'm not apologizing. It's true. What I said is true. Why should I apologize for Whatever. truth? Whatever. We have if Mama was married. W-U-Z married. Because these are all Hicks from Hicksville. Um, They're from Seattle. And and truly when you're watching this. a liberal bastion in this country. You really do feel for this June and this Louise. Yeah, like, the impression I got watching this was, they need, ch like, they've been waiting for CPS to step in. Mm-hmm. Like, really? Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm not saying that to drive some kind of point home of, oh, yeah, because she's, like, you know, a bad mom, and I think that she's, like, a whatever, like, that thing. But, like, you see it in them. They want to not... They, they're they traumatized. They, they, they've had trauma instilled upon them by their mom. And you can visibly see it in their performance. Mm -hmm. No, I thought it was a very good, abnormally good if Mama was married. Yeah. It's like you, you really get the feeling that these kids rely on each other to make it out the other end. Which does, you know, which can make it feel a lot more dangerous when June does leave and now Louise is on her own. Mm-hmm to fend for herself you know what question just popped into my head yes but i'll let you say it um well first are we gonna cut up the italian and put him in meat pies but <laughs> <laughs> are we being too cute about rose this entire time and has rose always been this abusive i don't know is this just actually what's been happening and that's why they're doing this do you mean like throughout like gypsy itself and all the productions we've watched or in this universe with all of the productions that we have watched has rose just always been this abusive and people have skirted around the issue i don't know because in every production we see rose show some affection to her kids I mean, I think back to In Betty Buckley, extent. who 
seemed like she honestly was trying to be a good parent. And Ethel Merman, again, actually thought she was being a good parent. It comes down to Ethel, isn't it? That That's the fundamental, that is the de facto interpretation of the role. That's the foundational, that's the foundation of the character. If Ethel Merman was trying to be a good mother. If we are then... trying to be honest here, have any of these other roses beat their kids? Linda Lavin. Like, no. Linda Lavin did. No, I don't think so. Oh, I think Linda Lavin. I think, I like... No, I don't think Linda Lavin beat her kids. I think Linda Lavin's the kind of person who smokes a cigarette outside of her window instead of tending to her kids crying in the next room. I think she's a negligent mother, not an abusive one. Okay. Okay. So, it's a wrong take. I, what I'm getting at is, are we being sticks in the mud and we're not seeing this show for what it is? Like, I don't know. Is this Is this something that we can definitively say is incorrect or is wrong? Is this... Some is this an interpretation that you could suppose could be made? Like it's not a it's not a take we've ever seen before. It's like no one's ever gone to touch. Upon I think this. the dramatic just truth, because no one's ever. I think the dramatic truth is that it's wrong because it's boring, hmm. because it's just uninteresting to watch in Act Two. So the dramatic truth is definitely wrong. The reality of the show. It's a musical comedy, but have we been? laughing at something that shouldn't have been funny that's a really you know that's 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 a it's an, it's an interesting question do you like what what moments i guess stick out in the text as i was i haven't pre-planned this like, at all there... i have not pre-planned yeah but just, just off the top yeah. off the top of your head in moments that you see like that you despise imelda's rose for what are some of those moments and how are they played otherwise? Is it, should we have assumed all along that this is a sign of abuse? I don't think she does anything with the text. I think she goes on top of the text. And it's the way she handles right, these so kids. Right, so then in that case, it, in that case, it feels less about the text than it does about the performance, right? Okay, yeah, I'm fine with that answer. I just think it's an important question to ask with how yeah, this conversation and, and is going that and that's one as well that i've started thinking about as we've been talking more and more about this interpretation and you know i've heard some people go on some you know mention can get a thrill go ahead i walked into that one i've heard a few people say that they like this rose because this isn't uh, a neat, nice and tidy rose, you know. But they're, none I, of them I are neat and tidy. Yeah, I really don't think that. But in the sense of like, this is just someone who's like emotionally ugly and puts it all out there and holds n and pulls no punches and is just visibly a monster. And that's what they w want from Rose. But I don't think that's the they show. They want Rose to be a monster. I mean, the ultimate ending of the show is supposed to be a serious question of not necessarily did I do it for me, but what has this two hours been about? And there's no question with Imelda. We know what it's been about since the end of Act One. Mm -hmm. So I just I don't know. They don't they don't do Gypsy. They do something, but it's not Gypsy. And I think I'm confident enough standing in that truth right now. 
Anyway, would you like to move on? Alright, so moving on, we have All I Need is the Girl. I thought this was a good Tulsa. I thought he's... So do I. ...a very technically advanced dancer. There's new choreography... He's my favorite performer in the show. There's new choreography that I don't think works as well as the original choreography. He also has to trip over the trash cans because there's no room on stage and... If that's the case, why did they not just open a door, put the trash cans right there so they're out of his way? I don't know. That's too common sense, apparently. And then the lack of strings, the whole, you know, I lift her up and June shallower. steps up. Yeah, there's no strings, so the moment lands with a thud. I thought it was a fine performance, and yeah, I, I like this Tulsa. And very technically advanced dancer. Very technically advanced. Definitely. Great. Moving on. Um, We're at the big moment. We're here. Yep. And Uh, I remember the first time I watched this, I said, this is the point of no return because it was good in the moment. And I knew there's nowhere for her to go in act two. What did you think about this scene? It blew my mind that Rose's monologue before everything's coming up, Rose's got a laugh. Did you do you remember that moment? And I can make you know. Yes, well, that has gotten laughs other the places at that. Uh, because it's just so ridiculous. And then it sinks in. Oh, she's actually going to try and do this. Uh, that was something I was surprised by at at the very first. Her performance of Everything is Coming Up Roses, once again, is a very impressive range of emotions that don't connect with me for who this Rose, who Rose is, who Rose is meant to be, Mm -hmm. and how Rose is as a mother. Mm -hmm. She grabs Louise's face during the bridge of the song mm-hmm. um, and like shakes her in a way that's viscerally causing Louise discomfort and you know she, th- th- there's nothing in this Rose's universe except for herself she has no cognizance of any effect her actions have on anyone around her you know Ethan literally Ethan Morton yeah. wrote about this Rose this is a rose that is never happy. She's only slightly happy when she's not being challenged by others. I think I'm paraphrasing there, but she's only happy when other people are just acceding to her demands. She's never truly happy. And I think that's absolutely accurate. Mm-hmm. You even look at when she smiles throughout the performance. It's one other. It's when no one is talking. It's about her getting her way. Yeah has nothing to do about anybody else. It has nothing to do with even a dream. It's just that she's able to dominate. Yeah, you're right. All right. We are thrown slam into the Tori Adorables. No entract. We don't deserve that. And we have the flag bit, which goes for like 30 seconds on its own. And also the smallest number of Tori Adorables that we've ever had on stage. Yeah, there's normally six. And there are, what, four here? 
Yeah. And again, Chichester might be a smaller theater or a smaller company or whatever it is. You're on the West End now. Mm-hmm. You up your orchestra. You get more yep. people in your ensemble. Like, come on. Yeah, this is fine for Chichester. But when you're on the West End, upscale, upscale. This reminds me of Funny Girl, which is another Julie Stein show. Uh, Julie, I, I believe that was done at the Chocolate Factory. And they went to the West End, and then they went on tour, and the tour was uh, professionally filmed. And I went to see it in movie theaters, and that's a whole... I think we should get into that one day, but... There were two chorus girls... Fanny was in the Ziegfeld Follies, and there were two chorus girls. Uh, there are normally more than two. Well, when you go to see the Ziegfeld Follies, how many chorus girls do you <laughs> think are in the Ziegfeld Follies? And no, you don't have to completely present the Ziegfeld Follies, but two? Yeah, upscale when you get to the West End. So we go on to together, wherever we go. Here's something interesting. They keep the underscoring going for the dialogue after the song and for the reprise. So it's not a reprise. It's just one long song. It is, yeah. Which seems fine. But because the underscoring is going, God, do they have to truck through all of that dialogue. And there's a decent amount of dialogue in between there. And God, are they trucking through that because the orchestra can't play that long. Honestly, the, 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 the lack of strings was felt there very strongly. That was mm-hmm. a boom. There's like a tiny thing of... They're actually kind of successful with their plate bit at first. Mm-hmm. Which... Well, because, again, Chichester is so small that they couldn't afford six plates. They have about four. <laughs> <laughs> you notice that it's successful, but there's less plates on stage than they normally have. Yeah, each one has one plate. Each one has. And one they plate. usually have plates. Each person usually has two plates, one plate in each hand, and yeah, not here. Well, that's all I really have to say to that bit. From then, we enter the Wichita Opera House. Yes. We we enter the burlesque, the house of burlesque. Uh-huh. So affectionately called the Wichita Opera House by the 1962 film. Oi, you're still on about that. You just love it. I'm just, I can't escape it from my mind now. Now that we've been given a name, it feels like that has to be the right one, but I don't want it to be. So... They're in the house of burlesque, and Rose wants to leave, but they're not going to leave, they're going to stay. And Rose asks Herbie to marry her, and she says, I love you, you know. That played like a complete lie. I don't know why she asked Herbie to marry her. It makes no sense here. Did you get that impression? It, The entire, like, I didn't understand at all why Rose was saying what Rose was saying in that moment. The, well, that showbiz, that entire section. Like, mm-hmm. I just didn't understand it. That was, that, that felt out of character. Mm-hmm. 
fundamentally out of character. And it didn't even seem like we were seeing a change of heart in her. It's like she was playing the exact same tactic despite these lines. Yeah. She plays the same tactic pretty much throughout the entire show. Yep. And then we have... You gotta get a gimmick. This is the part of Gypsy that just works. Out, outside of the context of Gypsy, this is a great piece of theatrical comedy. I've never once seen this number done a way that I didn't enjoy. I've never not gotten a laugh out of it. And I just this one just glazed me over. I didn't I didn't I didn't chuckle. I don't I was really looking at this again, third time I've seen it. It's not anything that the performers do wrong. The performers are fine. They're just given the entire the entire production that came before them we haven't been laughing at so then this is how is this supposed to land and then they're given a bad design and then the orchestrations are worse under them it's what do they have left to do it's it's directed really poorly like it's mazeppa doesn't have her thuds anymore uh electra's like electra's drum rolls are so much more shortened like it's like they're actually undoing the comedic structure of this number. It's... Aye. Aye, aye, aye. But oh well. And from here, we go on to one of your favorite moments in the show, I know. Don't be like Joan! That was so fucking loud. So fucking loud. <laughs> yep. I, I was talking both about the scene and about you just now. <laughs> You take this away. This is your mo- this is your time to shine. Is it? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Look, look, I I I I had my moment with uh with Herbie coming in at Small World. This is your moment to talk about your big thing. Okay, well I got a cough drop, so that's good. <laughs> okay, good. Good, good, good. I'm 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 really happy. I don't want you to blow out your voice on that. Cuz that screaming like that, not good. Um you don't say. So, Rose offers up Louise, and she starts physically assaulting her, and for the first time ever, Louise doesn't even offer to strip, she doesn't start taking her clothes off, it's just, there's about 30 seconds of dead air time, so Imelda just starts ripping Louise's clothes off. What the fuck? What the literal fuck? Like, if it's to the point where Rose has to rip Louise's clothes off and physically push her out on stage, how is Louise not just going to run off stage during the middle of Let Me Entertain You? And there's the end of the show. Hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. At some point, Louise has to take some initiative, and this production takes away any initiative and really any agency from Louise. <sighs> it's another fundamentally incorrect portrayal of Rose's motherhood. Mm-hmm. It's just upsetting. It's just upsetting, is all. Very upsetting. And then we have the confrontation with Herbie. And I actually thought Herbie was very good in this. But it didn't land, and I don't think that's on him. 
they were both just shouting. They're both just yelling. That well, was, but what is he supposed to do when you have Imelda fucking having a seizure on stage, screaming like that at Louise, don't be like June? What the fuck is this Herbie supposed to do? Yeah, I agree. He has that, nothing that's left. That's what makes it wrong. I thought he was very good with what he was given, is what I'm saying. But but fundamentally, with what you're given, you you like there's you aren't really given anything worthy you aren't really giving given the real issue with this moment is that this rose honestly does not care that herbie is leaving she's just caring that yet another person is walking out on her she could give a fuck that herbie is there so then why has herbie stuck around all these years there's no reason she doesn't particularly like him she doesn't give him anything and really even the worst people of society that make terrible acts have to be charming at a certain point so that they can make those yeah. terrible acts. That uh, I, I agree that she is not at all charming or kind or polite enough to get away with the stuff she's getting away with. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. And so with that, Rose is alone. Herbie comes to his senses. Louise is deeply traumatized for the rest of her life. Now we're at the strip. Mhm. Oh, 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 wait, 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 backtrack. We gotta talk about the underscoring. Oh, go ahead. That's your thing. So, there are no strings in this pit, and as a result, the underscoring that we usually have when Rose is assembling all the materials doesn't really work because we don't we don't have anything to supplement that we can't rely extra heavily on brass as we've been doing this entire goddamn production and so that entire thing plays to stark silence and let me tell you it has never felt that cold and you were mentioning before the notion of was this here all along and should we have been treating it as such this is a moment where you could really make that argument. It feels like now that we're hearing it without music, we see how unremitting, unremittingly cold and brutal and disgusting it is. It just felt so much more repulsive than it's ever felt to me before. Yeah, that's what it comes down to for me. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's cold. It's unfeeling. And we have the strip. Look, I think this is as good a Louise and Gypsy as she could possibly be with the um, circumstances she was given. Mm -hmm. I think she's got a lovely voice. I think she's a dynamic actress. I think she more or less... It's the moments she's supposed to hit. I find it interesting that the best moment I thought she had on stage was if Mama were married. If Mama was married, you've got me doing it now, you fucking bastard. <laughs> yes! Booyah! I th- <laughs> the best moment she has on stage is if Mama was married, which you'll notice there's uh, sorry, a certain... Sorry, it's, it's Mama had ever been married at one point or another in her life. Should she have chosen so? Oh my god. 
She's been married three times. She made that choice. Right, yeah. No, I'm just reminding you what the name of the song is. Oh, God, that's not the song. <laughs> You'll notice her best moment in the show is a moment where a certain person isn't on stage. Huh. Um, she does well during the strip. Uh, the Minsky's section, again, because this is so budget, looks not good. I don't even remember what it was. I'm going to look back and find it. Oh, it's just like one. There were projections drop. and then there was one drop. So I guess we're now at the dressing room. Mm hmm. How'd you feel about this dressing room scene? Yeah, it's the worst it's ever been. Uh, what does it come down to? What does it come down to is that only one person on stage seems interested in actually acting the scene. And the other person has a concept of what they want the character to be that isn't related to the show, and they're just playing that one note the entire scene. So, yeah, there's a lot of extra work one actress is making, while the other, um, I don't know, just does her thing, but they're not related at all, so. There's no connection. There's no, no. connection between the characters on stage. No, not at all. Yeah. Not in the slightest. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree to that. And it again, feels like a pointless scene, which this scene. Well, that isn't. was what I said at the end of Act One. Act Two is going to be pointless because we have seen everything. And after she screamed at Louise, "Don't be like June like that," she stays at that exact same pitch and gives the exact same line reading for pretty much the rest of the show. So why are we spending so much time going through all this when we already know it and we've already seen it? Huh. <sighs> I also want to point out here that on top of not having understood the script, Amelda is not very accurate with the script. She paraphrases about five lines in every scene. Earlier I played for you, the line is, Louise, don't be like June, just do this. Yeah. Amelda just screams... Don't be like June. No, Louise. Don't be like June. You do this. And that's typical of how she, the care that she treats the rest of the book. That's about the level of accuracy we're going for. Hmm. Lots of paraphrasing. Lots and lots of paraphrasing. Well, that's, that's her prerogative, I suppose. I it's know. her prerogative, like but why didn't the stage manager step in and say, you're not doing the script? You know, because Imelda Staunton. Uh, well. And now we're done this scene. Great. You want me to get on my soapbox? You haven't been. No, I haven't been. Oh, no. Alright, Rose's turn. I was going to do a further analysis of Rose's turn, but it comes down to really one thing. We get into the whole, Mama's talking loud, Mama's doing fine. We are in A-flat. We are in A-flat. Mama's talking loud, Mama's doing fine. Mama's getting hot, Mama's going strong. So we're going from tonic five, tonic five, tonic five. Mama's got the stuff, Mama's letting go, Mama. Mama's gotta let go. 
So we've been in A flat. We're constantly hearing the tonic. We have that tonic in our heads, even though the last chords are. We still have that A flat in our head. This is going to be important because what comes in next? D. And it's not harmonized at all. So we have the tonic of A flat, and then we go into D. What is that? That's a tritone. That is about the most disharmonious, clashing interval that exists. People used to think that the tritone was the sound of the devil. So we have, we're out of A flat, we're going into, is it D major? Maybe. Is it B minor? Maybe. We don't really know because nothing is harmonized. We just have an exposed... Why did I do it? And the first place we get a harmony here, anything harmonized... E, C sharp. Well, what is that really? It's inverted, but... That is the third and the fifth of A. And we just came out of A flat, so the ear wants to hear. So the fact that we have the first thing harmonized here being this, it's reinforcing that tritone. And we sit here really not knowing what key we are in, not much is harmonized, and all of a sudden we land in, I had a dream. And we have A at the bottom. And sure enough, throughout this entire section, we are heading towards, we don't know what key we are in, we are not sure, we are keeping with being not sure of what key we are in. And then finally, well, someone tell me, when is it my turn? And all of a sudden, we are in A. That is A right there. So the entire compositional structure of this section is built on the tritone and not knowing what key you are in and then finally landing in A. Now, what happens with Imelda is a deceptive key change. She does not sing in the correct key for this entire time. So, Imelda is actually G flat or F sharp. I think she's in F sharp personally, but they're both the same thing. So... That's the relationship in the bass line that you are constantly getting. You are getting F sharp as your tonic. Tonic meaning the first scale, the first scale degree uh, is referred to as the tonic. We're in F sharp. So she does the whole, um, mama's talking loud, mama's doing fine, mama's getting hot, mama's going strong. She goes through that section, we have F-sharp in our heads, and then the next section starts. If we're in F and we are keeping that tritone, which is the entire reason that the tension amps up, where she should be going is... She should be going to C. So... We're in F-sharp. Where does she go? She doesn't go to C. She goes to E. 
So instead of going F sharp C, she goes from F sharp E. And it ruins the tension there. It absolutely kills the tension. And again, when we finally get harmonized, anything harmonized, it's not calling back to the tritone because the tritone never existed. When she finally lands at I Had a Dream, she's all of a sudden in A flat. And that's what she's working for. Why that doesn't work is because when you finally were harmonized, you weren't heading towards A flat. That first uh, scrapbook's full of me in the background. This was leading nowhere with the key changes they made for Imelda. So, because of the key changes that they put in Rose's turn, where those key changes did not actually exist in some cases, and where those key changes were not the actual key changes that were called for, even if you were choosing a different key at the top of the number, they ruin any compositional tension of Rose's turn. Do you think that then speaks to that lack of carelessness in the music direction that we see in like other aspects of the production? It's interesting, um, Angela Lansbury also has random key changes that don't exist and is not taking the correct key changes that are written in the score. Why does it work for her then? Why does it work for her? Because even though she sounded a little ragged during Everything's Coming Up Roses, she's had a lot of vocal energy throughout the entire night and acting wise, the tension has been amping up, amping up, amping up. When this Rose's turn starts, I couldn't be less interested because I just had an entire dressing room scene where she played the same note, and then she came out for the monologue and she played that same note again. So I'm just checked out. Yeah. And now that we've elaborated on that, <laughs> what do you think of her Rose's turn overall? Her Rose's turn... It just, I'm not interested in the beginning. And then she does have the big moment of ignorances. And it's impressive, but also there's no compositional tension at the end because of the keys that they've decided Imelda has to sing in. So I really think it amounts to a hill of nothing. Sorry. Mm. For me, I was not, it was interesting, but I wasn't moved, and yeah, this was how her rose was always going to end. In a big old ball of pointless fire. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a very, very, very acty rose's turn. There's the moment between... Uh, like there's the transitional moment with Mama's Gotta Let Go mm -hmm. where she's just standing there gaping for about 30, 45 seconds. It feels like five minutes. And you're watching a deeply affected person. You're watching someone wholly devastated. You're watching someone processing extreme emotion well and, and people love seeing that also during that whole silence and during the whole mama's gotta let go and the ignorances the dramatic tension does amp up 
but then you start again and the compositional tension just is not there. So you're not getting anywhere close to total theater. What you are emotionally experiencing from the actress and what you are emotionally experiencing from the music don't match. Right. And so you're not, you're getting something that's ultimately shallow. It feels uncanny valley. A little bit. That's a good way of putting it. That's really why this rose's turn is a poor one and why this rose is a poor one. It's fine. It's more than fine. It's incredible technique. And it just has no basis. It's grounded in nothing. As negative as we have been, I feel about Amelda's Rose how I feel about Renee Zellweger in Judy. And how I feel about Renee Zellweger in Judy is that if this is a completely fictional character, she gave a great performance. Do not tell me it's Judy Garland. It is in no way, shape, or form even the slightest bit resembling or anything akin to Judy Garland. So, with Imelda, she gives a great performance if Gypsy didn't exist, but don't tell me I just saw Gypsy. Yeah. Do not tell me that was Gypsy. That was not. That's my thing throughout the entire show. And then, to finish this off, the last scene... What do you have to say about it? I was completely thrown by the extreme hamminess of Imelda's Rose here. She's, you know... Still? She says, yes. You didn't see that coming? No, but the, the, the moment of, you know, she goes, well, that's showbiz. Mm-hmm. She says it like she's staring at an explosion, like she's in an action movie. And it's just like I've never I would have never even thought for that moment to be that selfish. And I don't know if it's more selfish on the part of Rose's character in this production or if it's more selfish on the part of the actress almost. Or I guess the the selfishness of the director instructing the actress. Well, and there's always a question about in Gypsy of where does Louise become the mother? And the way that Imelda Staunton walks off stage, she's very much a child again. And that flip has fully yeah. happened. That I can appreciate. What chaps my ass, among many other things, you know, Madame Rose and her daughter Gypsy. And then Gypsy turns around and starts walking off stage. Just turns around and she's had it. She's walking off stage. I liked that choice. What I didn't like is Imelda finally reaches up to her and Gypsy or Louise puts her arm around Imelda. No. No. If you're going to have it like that, don't have her put her arm around. Have her walk off and have Imelda be trailing around because that will get your message across clearer. I could not believe the very last image is Gypsy saying this entire thing has been all right. She's over this rose enough that she's just turning and walking away. She's not even laughing, which is normally what's there. She's not laughing. She's just given up and she's walking away. And yet she's still putting her arm around her mother. That didn't feel right. 
you know, God, like what's new? This is just it. It it it, just... it, it, it doesn't think about all these overarching theatrical characters. It doesn't think about the arcs of these dynamics. It doesn't think about how these characters are really being portrayed in the grand scheme. It's a line by line thing. But I don't even think the line by line works. It never did. No. That's not even a question. It just it 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 doesn't work. And that's my point. Mm-hmm. None of this production works, really. I mean, we literally just big, sat here. Not at an overall fundamental level. We just sat here and discussed Jocko's hat, which is the very first thing you see, to <laughs> Louise putting her arm around Rose, which is the very last thing you see. We went through the entire show and... They're just there wasn't. This is the most thorough look at Gypsy I honestly think we've ever done. Unfortunately, but you know what? You know what? Here, I have a positive voter app on it. But you know what, Dan? I think overall this has such a great effect, and this is so important in realizing what makes Gypsy maybe the greatest American musical of all time. Because in looking at all these moments that a production does wrong and looking at how its effectiveness really comes through, we look at all the parts and go, this is a fantastic part of theater that feels like it's empty without it. When there's a part that's wrong with this show, it sticks out like a sore thumb. We are able to look at all of these tiny things. We are able to look at all the moments in between Jocko's hat and Gypsy's arm and talk about what works and what doesn't and why doesn't it work and how has it worked better and why does it work in the first place. Mm-hmm. In doing this like breakdown of how this production gets it wrong, you really take a step back and understand and go, wow. How many things went right? Really? What uh, what other piece of theater under the sun could you really do this thorough of a nitpicking about? Musical theater, especially. Mm-hmm. I'm spent. Just every time I watch Imelda, I'm spent. I watched it last night. And discussing it now, I am just spent. And I guess, really, we've exhausted everything there is to say about the, the West End revival of Gypsy. I have nothing to say. You have had many things. That is objectively true. Had past tense, correct. And now, I have nothing to say. You've had many things. Nothing that's not been said. Said by you, though, Dan. I do not know where to go. (laughs) Nor do I. I want to see roses that count, roses that will be new. We did what we had to do. What am I to do? Move on to the final episode in the marathon. I can't believe how well that worked. (laughs) 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 Folks, this has been a lovely, lovely adventure, and we are coming to the end of our journey. We are coming to our Rose's turn. We've seen pretty much every definitive full production of Gypsy there is. So Dan, tell me, 
what could possibly be left to make sure that this is as conclusive a series as we can get it? In America, we have something called Summerstock. Uh-huh. And Summerstock is a lovely place where stars used to go to do roles for a couple weeks and try things out. Um, so we are in no way done because there are major artists that have played this role. And, you know, thinking about other people that have played Madame Rose, uh, some names that jump out are, I don't know, people like Lorna Luft, Susan mm. Johnson. Guys. So thanks for sticking with us and we'll be back to wrap it all up. Like a condom. Come back to... Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll see you in the final episode where we look over the rest. See you then. And then there's Maud. The Unauthorized Critic Circle podcast is unauthorized. The podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Gypsy! And all names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyright of the respective trademark and copyright holders. The Unauthorized Critic Circle cannot help the listener locate or distribute recordings discussed herein. Mm-hmm.